that if you're in a global company that's not based in the United States, but let's say is based in another country, but has a US operation, the point is that you're going to have to have local sanctions compliance capabilities. And OFAC made it very clear here that the United Kingdom staff was not familiar with the nuances, the day-to-day activities of OFAC sanctions, and we've advised clients similarly. It's important to have people dedicated to the OFAC sanctions compliance process and to make sure that that expertise is available to the business within the United States. Global companies face unprecedented risks and challenges in today's economy. To mitigate these legal and economic risks, companies are rapidly embracing and elevating the importance of robust ethics and compliance programs to promote positive corporate citizenship. On Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, you'll hear from industry leaders and insiders about how to create effective ethics and compliance programs that will mitigate risks and maximize financial performance. Here's your host, Michael Volkov. Well, hello, this is Michael Volkov from sunny Sicily again. Enjoying the weather over here, it's beautiful. Today, we're going to talk about the Murad OFAC enforcement action. And this enforcement action reflects the fact that OFAC, in recognition of the increasing seriousness of sanctions enforcement, is taking more time to provide guidance through some of their enforcement actions. And this is an important enforcement action because there are comments in here citing the use of global sanctions compliance organizations and failing to organize the sanctions oversight function with adequate local feet on the ground and connection for making sure that sanctions U.S. issues are handled by sanctions U.S. local experts. And that, to me, is an important comment that came from OFAC during this enforcement action, and it's why we're going to spend an entire episode talking about this. So let's go to the headline, Murad pays, and Murad is a cosmetics company located in California and ended up paying $3.3 million for Iran sanctions violations, as did, and this is an important, we have a, yet another case now with an individual paying a civil penalty. The former senior executive paid 175000 for his role in these violations. So over an eight-year period ending in 2018, Murad illegally exported goods and services to Iran in 62 separate transactions worth approximately $11 million. Murad was acquired by Unilever in 2015, and once discovered, Unilever, after the acquisition, voluntarily disclosed the conduct to OFAC. The fallout from Murad's long-running conspiracy was pretty straightforward. They had to pay $3.3 million and the former senior executive had to pay 175000 The executive committed three separate violations as the manager of Murad during the period between June of 2016 and September of 2017. The executive did not voluntarily disclose his or her conduct. Now, OFAC credited Murad for voluntarily disclosing the conduct because it was done by Unilever after the acquisition, but found that the conduct was an egregious violation under its penalty assessment factors. 
So let's talk about the conspiracy and how it was hatched. In December 2009, Executive One and other Murad executives and the CEO of an Iran distributor entered into an exclusive agreement to sell Murad's products in the Middle East, including Iran. Executive One signed the distribution agreement, and Murad began exporting its products to Iran through the distributor, while Murad had a pending application before OFAC for a specific license. So they clearly knew it was prohibited. They applied for a license and yet started going forward with the conduct anyways. In May 2015, the same Executive One signed a new distribution agreement with the same Iran distributor's CEO for a related UAE-based company to become Murad's sole distributor in the Middle East. Iran was not specifically mentioned as an authorized territory, but Murad and Executive One, quote-unquote, should have understood that the UA distributor would continue to export products to Iran. Now, in July of that same year, 2015, Unilever agrees to buy Murad. The transaction closed in September of 2015. During this interim period, Murad submitted another application to OFAC for a specific license to sell its products to Iran. And even though this was pending, they continued to export the products to Iran, and they also provided support to the UAE distributor to open and operate a Murad-branded store in Tehran. So it was not only were they selling products, but they were also were supporting the establishment of a Murad-branded store in Tehran. Now, Murad never disclosed to Unilever its prior and ongoing business activities involving Iran. Unilever did not discover the conduct during its pre-acquisition due diligence, and they never discovered, for example, that Murad had a separate website for its Iran business activities under the web address. And wait for it, it's not that complicated, murad.ir. The Murad website in Iran was active from September 1, 2012 until December 5th, 2018, more than three years after Unilever acquired Murad. Unilever discovered the business activities in Iran in October 2015, six weeks after the acquisition closed, when a Unilever U.S. employee received an email sent from the UAE distributor's CEO explaining the time it took for Murad's products to reach Tehran from the United States. The next day, Unilever's general counsel directed Executive One to cease and instruct the UAE distributor to cease all exports to Iran. Executive One issued that instruction. But prior to doing that, however, Executive One alerted another Murad executive of the need to ensure that the UAE distributor would not ever state that any Murad senior executive approved the export of Murad's products to Iran, proving yet again, it's not the crime, but it's the cover-up. Subsequently, in January 2016, Executive One inquired of Unilever's counsel whether there were any changes to the Iran sanctions program following the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action and the loosening of secondary sanctions. Not primary, though. Unilever's counsel advised Executive One that no relevant prohibitions had changed. Despite learning that, Murad senior executives, including Executive One, continued to work with the UAE distributor to export Murad's products to Iran. In early 2017, in response to a specific inquiry from an Iranian salesman, Executive One asked a senior executive to revise Murad's marketing materials to increase the sales in Iran. 
Murad's last export to Iran occurred on January 24th, 2018, and there was an inquiry from Murad's bank about specific payments involving Iran, and Unilever again instructed Murad to shut it down, and there was then a hold placed on all shipments. So in describing this series of events, it's important to look at some of the sanctions compliance deficiencies, and OFAC cited these including the absence of a specific sanctions compliance program, the fact that high-level executives participated in the illegal conduct, and the absence of any compliance structure in relation to the specific sanctions risks that Murad faced. And interestingly, and here's one of the points I wanted to emphasize, OFAC cited specifically Murad's reporting line on sanctions compliance issues to personnel in Unilever's division in the United Kingdom. Notably, OFAC cited the fact that the United Kingdom staff lacked an adequate understanding of OFAC sanctions. And this is the important point, that if you're in a global company that's not based in the United States, but let's say is based in another country, but has a U.S. operation, the point is that you're going to have to have local sanctions compliance capabilities. And OFAC made it very clear here that the United Kingdom staff was not familiar with the nuances, the day-to-day activities of OFAC sanctions, and we've advised clients similarly. It's important to have people dedicated to the OFAC sanctions compliance process and to make sure that that expertise is available to the business within the United States. Now, Executive One's specific violations stemmed from his execution of the distribution agreements in 2015 and 2018 that resulted in the sale of Murad's goods to Iran. So talking about the lessons learned from this, OFAC provided a comprehensive statement that I'd urge everybody to look at with regard to the sanctions violations that occurred here. OFAC noted that firms with potential sanctions exposure should implement measures to ensure that senior management both commit to and maintain a culture of compliance throughout the company. To this end, OFAC stated that senior executives with managerial responsibilities should take particular care to ensure awareness of applicable prohibitions and refrain themselves from engaging in sanctions violations. Look, this is a profound grasp of the obvious. What OFAC should have said and probably implicitly is saying, and I'm not giving them credit, is that these senior executives just went on willy-nilly and ignored even advice given to them and directions given to them by the general counsel to seize the conduct. Given that, to me, it's surprising, and maybe we'll watch to see if the Justice Department shows up here and brings about some type of enforcement action against some of these individuals, assuming they can make it within the statute of limitations, given that the last shipment was in 2018. Now, this, to me, is a case that cries out for a criminal prosecution, but given the statute of limitations problems, DOJ may have sort of uh, backed away from it. But this is a case in the future that I think DOJ would prosecute, for sure. And the fact that OFAC went and then had an individual enter into a settlement for 175000 reflects the seriousness of the individual's conduct. Now, in addition to the point about these senior executives and management, OFAC specifically cited that, quote, in some circumstances, placement of a U.S. entity under the compliance structure of a non-U.S. entity 
that may lack familiarity with U.S. sanctions could prevent prompt identification of and response to potentially prohibited conduct. In another words, what I had just said earlier, that you have to have local boots on the ground, you have to have sanctions expertise in your U.S. operations, even though you're owned by a foreign global company and wherever that may be. Now, finally, and if you noticed from the facts here, we had a situation where pre- and post-acquisition due diligence and integration failed, and Unilever should be looking at their own compliance deficiencies, and in particular, when conducting pre-acquisition due diligence and not discovering or uncovering ongoing contracts that existing contracts that are providing sales of goods to Iran, that should have been picked up. Secondly, after the acquisition closed, Unilever should have closely conducted an integration process to identify potential sanctions issues and make sure everybody was brought into the Unilever Global Compliance Program. Compliance reminders, and this is from OFAC itself, they said, by themselves may be inadequate to prevent a sanctions violation. Well, that goes without saying. The fact is here that integration means conducting some post-acquisition audit and, in addition, making everybody subject to the compliance program, undergoing training, and knowing about the procedures and processes that are in place to prevent any future violation. Anyways, that's my thoughts today on the Murad case. Please check it out and read it. And once again, we see just more evidence of the heightened interest in sanctions enforcement. And like I've said, we're going to see more activity against corporations from the Justice Department, and we're going to see a more aggressive turn because sanctions is, quote unquote, the new FCPA. Well, thanks again, everybody. And we'll be in touch next week with another episode. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by subscribing on your favorite listening platform. To learn more and connect with Michael Volkov, go to volkovlaw.com. 